In Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism, clergy are referred to as father, such as, say, Father Joseph or Father Ryan. Father is a title given to clergy, both to priests and to ordained deacons. So if you address a priest in either of those traditions, you would say father or father and their first name. An ordained deacon is usually either referred to the same way as either father or father, their first name, or more properly as father deacon to establish their position as being separate from the priest himself. In Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism, if you fail to address clergy by their title, that's considered poor form. Is it wrong? Eh, it's just poor form. However, there's an issue here. In Matthew 23, 9, Jesus specifically forbids calling people father. He said this, quote, And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Well, because of this verse, Protestants don't call their clergy father. They use different terms depending on their tradition. Uh, You'll find pastor, reverend, elder, vicar. Those are some of the common titles. But Protestants really have a question. Why is it that Orthodox Roman Catholics call their clergy father when Jesus specifically told us not to do that? Behind the Protestant question, there's actually bigger questions going on. In the Protestant mind, they're asking other questions beyond the issue of why is it that you call your clergy father when Jesus specifically told us not to. Those questions include things like this. Why is it that Orthodox and Roman Catholics don't take their Bibles seriously? Do they just ignore Matthew 23.9? Do they just skip over it? Do they just not read their Bibles at all? Are they more concerned about preserving their tradition rather than what the Bible says? Now, look, in my opinion, these are actually valid and important questions, and I think they demand an answer. In fact, I think they deserve a good answer. I'll be honest, for decades as a Protestant, these are the kinds of questions that I asked. Now, normally I would ask them quietly or really just to myself. But sometimes, you know, I'd be teaching a Sunday school class and maybe I'd start asking some of those questions out loud. And honestly, I look back on my asking that these questions out loud and I'm just, yeah, I'm horrified at, at, how awful. It was just awful. Well, in today's podcast, what I'd like to do is I'd like to start sharing with you what I found out about Matthew 23, 9 and the issue of calling clergy father. Now, let me start off with this. In my experience, I have learned that Orthodox and Roman Catholics take their Bibles seriously. They take their Bibles very seriously. Now, this is going to be the first of two podcasts on this topic. You would think that this whole thing would be a simple yes or no answer, right? I mean, why do you call your clergy father uh, if Jesus specifically told you not to? Well, here's the reason. Kind of an easy peasy thing. But it's really not that simple. There's more to it than just the title, and it takes a little bit of time to unpack. So what we'll do is we're going to start with this episode, take a look at Matthew 23, 9, and then we're going to come back and look at some of the bigger issues in the next podcast. So what we start in this podcast, in this episode, we're going to finish up next time. Okay, let's talk about what I learned uh, about all this. When Matthew 23, 9 is taken out of context, it says something different than when it's read in context. 
Taken out of context, Matthew 23, 9 looks like a blanket prohibition to never call anyone father. However, in context, we really do see something else. So let's establish a context of Matthew 23, 9. Now, first of all, let's be clear. The original text was not written with chapters and verses. They, they weren't, it wasn't even written with chapters and verses in mind. Those were added in later so that we could reference Scripture, right? So I can say, hey, John 3.16, and you know exactly what portion of Scripture I'm talking about. Now, chapters and verses are fantastic for referencing. They're fantastic for being able to study our Bible. However, sometimes it's got the problem that it will obscure the real context because people will often focus on a single verse outside of the context around it. Sometimes we need to go beyond just the one verse to establish context. Sometimes we need to go beyond the paragraph that the verse is in. Sometimes we even need to go beyond the chapter to get the, con- the correct context of a verse. For the context of Matthew 23, 9, we need to understand that the entire chapter of Matthew 23 is Jesus exposing the pride, arrogance, and hypocrisy of both the scribes and the Pharisees. And even within the paragraph, the immediate context of verse 9, we get a different perspective of what Jesus is saying. And if you really want to go hardcore, you could step back even further and look at the context of the entire New Testament. When we consider what the entire New Testament says about the use of Father, we find that Paul repeatedly called people Father, including himself. Take a look sometime when you have a chance at 1 Corinthians 10.1, Colossians 3.21, 1 Corinthians 4.15 and 16, and 1 Thessalonians 2.11. If Matthew 23.9 is a literal prohibition against calling anyone Father, um, did Paul not get the memo? In other words, what do we do with all these verses where Paul is repeatedly using the title Father? You know, interpreters have a saying, Context is king. Context is king. In other words, when you are seeking to understand a verse or a passage, always understand it within the larger context of what you're reading. We should never attempt to understand a verse outside of its, uh, outside of its context. Now, one thing I would say is this. In my journey from Protestantism into Orthodoxy and then subsequent learning about Roman Catholicism, I've been forced to confront my assumptions. You know, when I was safely ensconced in my Protestant bubble, everyone largely shared the same assumptions that I had, so everything was great and I didn't have to do any kind of deep soul-searching on my assumptions. And frankly, I've seen the same thing within Orthodoxy. There's a little Orthodox bubble, and within Roman Catholicism, there's even a Roman Roman Catholic bubble. And so when Christians are safely within their bubbles— Everything is fine because everybody shares largely the same assumptions. They're asking largely the same questions and largely getting the same answers. But as I encountered non-Protestant interpretations of Scripture, I had to confront my assumptions. I had to confront my Protestant assumptions. And I got to tell you, it hasn't been very comfortable. It hasn't been comfortable at all. But I will say it's also been very rewarding Sometimes getting out of our comfort zone is really important. It's a great way to be able to study Scripture, to open your eyes to Scripture, to see things that you never could have imagined was there, 
simply because being in your little bubble kept you from seeing the fullness of Scripture. Okay, if you look in the show notes of this episode, you're going to find Matthew 29 provided for you. However, what I want to do is I want to provide you the context of verse 9. I've already talked about Matthew 23 is Jesus exposing the pride and hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. But now I want you to see it. So let me read it to you. I'm reading out of the New American Standard, Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels, I'm sorry, lengthen the tassels of their garments. What Jesus is exposing here in verses 1 through 5 is their hypocrisy. These guys are hypocrites. They say one thing, they do another. But please note, Jesus is saying, even though they're being hypocrites, doesn't mean they're wrong. Okay, it doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong. They're just hypocrites about it. Verse 6, And they love the places of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men, Rabbi. This is the issue of pride, the expectation that they're going to be treated deferentially. They'll be treated special because of the positions that they hold. Now, skip verses 8, 9, and 10. We'll come back to those in just a moment, but look at the conclusions of verses 11 and 12. Quote, But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus is calling people to humility in this life. And we're not talking humility in the bad sense, like humiliation. We're talking about humility in the sense of being humble, to live this life in a humble way so that you're not thinking you're all that in a cup of coffee because you hold some position. We are called to be humble in life. And then almost the rest of the entire chapter is Jesus calling down woes on the scribes and Pharisees. Verses 13 through 36 are all the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. And then there's three more verses after that, Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. But that's the context of the chapter. And so when we understand Matthew 23, 9, and the prohibition against calling people father, we need to understand that Jesus is calling out the pride and the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees and saying that his disciples are not to do the same thing. Okay, let's take a look here. Verse 8, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and all, and you are all brothers, and do not call anyone on earth father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is, Christ. Now, in these three verses, there's an interesting progression of voice. Verse 8, do not be called uh, rabbi, that's passive voice. Verse 9, and do not call anyone on earth your father, active voice. And then back to passive voice in verse 10, and do not be called leaders. Now, I'm not sure if there's anything here in the uh, switch from passive to active to passive. Um, I think that there's probably not much to it. It's probably just a writing style. Scholars largely agree that all three of these verbs are functioning as commands. 
It is Jesus saying, do this, or rather in this case, don't do this. The active to passive voice, probably not important, but what is important is that these are commands. But what I really want to focus in on next are the terms that Jesus is talking about. Verse 8, rabbi, means teacher, someone who expounds upon the law in the synagogue. And then skip 9, go to 10, and do not be called. My translation has leaders. However, you may find the translation that you use has teacher instead of leader. Well, the word here is not the typical word for teacher. It's, uh, what is it? That's a didaskalos. The word here is kathagetes. Kathagetes. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament, and it does not appear in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Most scholars think that kathagetes, sorry, kathagetes means tutor, or someone who provides instruction outside of a regular school setting. Some have even suggested that it means interpreter. Personally, I think in the age of internet, maybe the term thought leader would be included here. Someone who, like myself, uh, provides instruction outside of a regular church setting. But here's the thing. When it comes to this issue of leader or teacher, Christians use these terms all the time. In fact, it's biblical to do so. These titles are given in the Bible itself, and so I'm not sure what the problem is with using some of these terms, such as teacher or leader. Therefore, I'm not sure what the problem with father is going to be. We use these terms all the time because we need to use these terms all the time. Craig Blomberg, in his commentary on this verse, said this, quote, People are properly called teachers in Acts 13.1, 1 Timothy 2.7, and Hebrews 5.12. Paul will even refer to the spiritual gift that enables some people to be so identified. Ephesians 4.11, 1 Corinthians 12.28-29, and even James 3.1. His point is this. Jesus says, don't let anybody be called teacher, and yet... The New Testament uses the term, and this same kind of thinking should probably be applied backwards to the terms father and rabbi as well. As we saw previously, Paul used the term father several times, so again, we're seeing consistency with the New Testament in terms of how these verses are being understood, that these are not blanket prohibitions to never call anyone father, to never call anybody leader or teacher. We can do that. The issue is the pride and the hypocrisy that comes with it. In other words, the point Jesus is making is that whatever terms or titles we confer on Christian leaders, they are not to confer privilege or status. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, and our positions are given as a gift of God's grace. In his homily on Matthew 23, 9, the ancient church preacher John Chrysostom, or St. Chrysostom, said this regarding call no man your father, is said in order that they may know whom they ought to call father in the highest sense. It is not said frivolously, as if no one should ever be called father. Just as the human master is not the divine master, so neither is the father, the capital F father, who is the cause of all, both of all masters and of all fathers. 
In other words, Chrysostom is saying that Jesus means our use of the title Father should always point us to our true Father who is in heaven. Not that we're not supposed to use the title, but that it points us to our true heavenly Father. Now, there was one suggestion about this verse that I thought was kind of interesting. Out of concern that our use of titles will inevitably lead to the sin of pride in those people who hold the title, Craig Blomberg, I just quoted him a moment ago, Craig Blomberg in his commentary on this passage suggests that Christians should abolish all titles. He thinks we should just simply address each other by our first names because it shows both familiarity as well as respect. Now, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not on board with this. This feels like it was born in the same place as replacing the wine of communion with grape juice. Now, that was done because, well, first, prohibition, but secondly, it was retained after the repeal of prohibition because of alcoholics, right? That, that because alcoholics, and especially recovering alcoholics, really can't handle wine. They have to go cold turkey and can never have it again. The idea here is that because of that, we should not be tempting our weaker brothers and sisters that we should withhold the wine so that we are not tempting them, so that we are honoring them as our weaker brothers and sisters. In other words, because some people can't handle something, let's take it away from everyone. I appreciate the concern for the weaker brother, but I don't think it applies in every case. In other words, when it comes to uh, wine in communion, Jesus commanded that we use wine, not grape juice. He commanded that. Um, I don't see that anyone got permission to change that. And let's make sure we put responsibility where it belongs. If a recovering alcoholic can't handle the wine of communion, he shouldn't take the wine. We need to put the responsibility back on the recovering alcoholic. That's where it belongs. And in the same manner, if a leader can't handle a title, he needs to be talked to, and failing that, he probably needs to be removed from leadership. We are told to test our leaders before we give them positions of authority. Okay, are we testing them for pride? Are we testing them for what they really want with the position? Are they looking to inflate their own ego, or are they looking to genuinely serve Christ? And if we're testing them, how are we testing them? In other words, let's deal with the problem that we sometimes confer titles to people who can't handle them, and we need to deal with that rather than eliminate the titles altogether. Moreover, if what Jesus is saying here is not a blanket command to avoid using these titles, then perhaps Blomberg's suggestion that we remove all titles is not quite in keeping with the spirit of what Jesus is saying. I appreciate what Blomberg is trying to do here, but to me, that, that seems to be going too far. Jesus is not giving us a blanket command to not use titles. The command is that those who have those titles are not to let them go to their heads. They are to be servants. They are servant leaders. And these titles are not supposed to be an opportunity for pride and hypocrisy. I found this from somebody who was defending Orthodox, and I loved what he said about this. He, he was talking about the issue of calling our clergy father, and he said this, quote, It remains a simple fact that the overwhelming majority of Christians in the world today, Orthodox, Roman Catholics, Anglicans, etc., 
and across 20 centuries of church history, have addressed and continue to address their clergy as father. And I would add that for nearly 1,400 years, from the death of the last apostle, the Apostle John, around 100 AD, until the Protestant Reformation around 1500, well, 1517, for 1,400 years, calling clergy father was unquestioned amongst Christians. And so, if it was wrong, why was the practice allowed to continue for so long? Was God not leading his church? Well, of course he was. Of course he was leading leading his church. So then perhaps there's nothing wrong with the practice of calling our clergy father. It's probably okay. All right, with that said, that concludes our look at Matthew 23, 9. Now, that's not the end of the story. There's more to this story about calling clergy father. However, we're going to handle that in the next podcast. So I'm going to hold that discussion until then. And I really hope you come back for that one because it's the next part that's actually the really important piece. Calling clergy father, that's just a title we give to folks. It's how we address folks, you know, whatever. I will say this. If you have a clergy who does not want to be called father, obviously don't call him father. That's not what he's looking for. But if it's right and proper in your tradition to call your clergy father, then by all means, you should. Okay, with that said, I look forward to seeing you next time, but let me close in a word of prayer. If you would, join me in prayer. Glory to you, our God, glory to you. We give glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the spiritual fathers you've raised up in your church. Lord, I pray you would protect us all from pride but especially our leaders and our spiritual fathers. Protect them from thinking that they have earned special treatment. Give them the wisdom they need to lead your people. May may their love for you not wane, but continue to grow. Protect your people from temptation, and especially our leaders. Guide them that they may be filled with zeal for your kingdom and grace towards sinners. Until then, may we be found faithful in all things. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.